Fun. Hey everyone, and welcome to Twig 33. Today we are again joined by Adam Telfer from Mobile Free to Play and also working at Warner Brothers. Unfortunately, we do not have Mishka with us today, but he will be joining us again next week. And as always, we have Eric Kress. So the articles that we will be talking about today include uh, Epic Store continues to absorb PC gaming exclusives, large and small, from Ars Technica. In a related art article, Epic says it will stop store exclusive exclusives if Steam offers a better cut uh, from Polygon. Then Epic Games acquires Rocket League Studio Psionics from VentureBeat. Uh, next, we're going to be talking about the anti-loot box bill. Zero chance it passes. Game analysts break down Senator's anti-loot box bill from, from VentureBeat. Then we will be talking about PlayStation Now, which has 700,000 users from Variety. And we will end with Sony releases its God of War making of documentary on YouTube from reported by Engadget. But before we dive in, you know, just, just wanted to like pass it over to you guys, Adam and Eric. How are you guys doing? And, and uh, Eric, I know you wanted to, to uh, talk a little bit about, about Glue. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, going to do a little bit of a retraction to some degree, <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes I torture myself and listen to old podcasts and it's often pretty painful, but, uh, I just want to make a quick comments on a few things that I said that I'm going to kind of retract a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, my job is to be right on this fundamentals of these companies. And when I'm right, I can get a bit carried away. I know. Um, so the first thing is a glue, you know, glue is not garbage. And I, I apologize for using that language. That was inappropriate. Um, you know, they have managed this acquisition of Crowdstar almost flawlessly. And even I met the guy at GDC who runs that group and he's a super nice guy, really well-seasoned game exec from EA. Um, and again, they've made, they've managed this product extremely well. Nick, you know, I work with him at Kabam. We, he, he's doing a great job of managing what they have. Um, but fundamentally, I'm just not convinced that this, they can hit Wall Street's expectations on future growth with the pipeline of products that they have, um, and also continue to grow Crowdstar products. So, that's kind of my thesis, not that they're garbage. I apologize for that. The second thing was Apex Legends. So I was listening to myself talk about my, you know, critical events and, and Apex Legends, um, most of which of what I said was actually confirmed by EA in their call. But I want to be clear. I'm critical of what Vince is doing with this particular game, not Vince. You know, Vince is a freaking rock star. You know, he, he reminds me of that bit from Bill Burr about Adam, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, and all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's accomplishment, it, it would take, and the, basically the punchline is it would take like six or seven lifetimes to achieve what Arnold has achieved in his life. And this is the same for Vince. You know, this guy built Medal of Honor, Allied Assault at EA. He then left because of some political dispute with LA um, at, at, um, at EA. Uh, he went, built Infinity Ward with uh, Activision and created Call of Duty. Then he left Activision with, and created Respawn, and then he created this amazing franchise, Titanfall. And now EA has acquired him again, and they are building an epic Star Wars game and one of the biggest shooters in the world with Apex. Um, and at the end of the day, I could not possibly even think of achieving any of this, this stuff in six lifetimes, much less one lifetime. This guy's like godly. So anyway, mad respect for, for Vince uh, and, 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 and his team for what, the, what they've accomplished over the years as he's brought many of these core teams from one place to another. So those are the two things I just wanted to say real quickly. And, um, and again, oh, and I have to give a shout out to Jeff Cohen, who beat me in my bet against uh, Take-Two. 
So I was right, I think, on most of the fundamental stuff, but he was definitely right on what guidance they gave. So I owe him chicken dinner at uh, <laughs> at uh, E3. So I, I'll, I'll get you back, Jeff. Yeah, and if I can also comment a bit on, on Glue, uh, we definitely have to give a shout out to that CrowdStart team that has performed extremely well. And you know, we spoke about this on the last podcast, but you know, the... Uh, the, the CrowdStar games and Tapsworth's baseball were up about 30% against bookings. And um, just because we think there may be pressure on the stock does not mean we're not sort of fans of the company. I mean, I, I'm a fan of, of everyone in the games games industry, but just to give folks an understanding of, of, you know, why we think that, because, you know, I have received some comments from LinkedIn about why we don't like Lou. I, I, I it's, there's a difference between thinking that there's pressure on the stock relative to uh, the company itself. But when I think about Glue, I, th I think of them in terms of a very simple model in, in terms of like three primary areas, which is new game development. Um, secondly, their live ops and current por portfolio. And, and third, uh, in terms of competition. And, and so like, at least for me personally, the reason why I felt there would be pressure on the stock was because, you know, Glue's kind of you know, going all in on San Francisco. And I just feel that, that new game development in San Francisco is challenged. Uh, secondly, in terms of like that female market, which I don't understand, I thought that, you know, it would be um, difficult to continue to increase and, and grow that market in terms of their existing games. And thirdly, very similar to what we've seen um, in, 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 the, in the match category, uh, you know, I felt that there would be more competition in, 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 the, in the categories that they're competing against. And I, I would say that, um, one, I, I still believe in that thesis in terms of new game development. I still do think that competition will be coming. But uh, where I was personally wrong is that that CrowdStar team has been executing extremely well. And, you know, they, they have a lot to be proud of. So we'll see what happens. But uh, definitely, you know, think that, um, you know, uh, that uh, glue, glue team is, is doing a fantastic job over there. So there's that. Um, and, and Adam, how are things going for you? What, what, what's going on? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, I guess I don't have anything to apologize for yet on the podcast. <laughs> oh, just <laughs> you I'm wait. Sure, I'm very sure that will happen. Uh, sorry, Eric, what do you want to say? No, just you wait. You'll have something to apologize for next week. Oh, for yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and, and inevitably, we will say something and someone gets upset uh, at some point, which, which is good. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, it's it's good for us to keep things keep things real. So uh, while we can be fans of different companies, I, I, I do think having the honest discussion is very valuable. Yeah. As a Canadian, I have no problems with apologizing. <laughs> okay. In that case, let's jump right in. So the first article is uh, from Ars Technica. Epic Store continues to absorb PC gaming exclusives, large and small. And basically a number um, of new exclusives to Epic Game Store have been announced. So in January, uh, we spoke about this before, Division 2 was announced as a last-minute move to Epic Game Store. Then in March, Epic and Ubisoft announced that Ubisoft will be bringing several major PC releases to Epic instead of Steam. So since then, Ghost Recon Breakpoint and Historical RTS Anno 1800 are moving away from Steam to Epic Store. And when I say moving away, I mean moving away in the sense that there were initial pre-orders available for Steam, which Ubisoft will still have to honor. And so I would call that a pretty aggressive move in terms of taking games sort of away from Steam and exclusive on, on Epic. And so Epic definitely, you know, very, very aggressive here. 
in addition to these Ubisoft titles, Outer, Outer Wilds by developer Mobius was also announced. Further, Borderlands 3 will be an epic exclusive through April 2020. And later on in this podcast, we'll also talk about Rocket League. And just to hold on for one more minute before we go to Eric and Adam to get their take, the article then references Epic CEO Tim Sweeney's comment last month that Epic would actually stop buying exclusives if Steam reduces their revenue cut. So kind of jumping over to that article, which is related, um, uh, Epic, uh, that article was Epic says it will stop store exclusives if Steam offers a better cut from Polygon. And in that article, uh, Tim Sweeney called Steam's 30% cut on game sales the number one problem for PC developers, publishers, and everyone who relies on those businesses for their livelihood. So I actually think that's a pretty dramatic and hyperbolic statement uh, in terms of that being the number one problem. But, um, you know, I, I, I guess that's... That's his opinion. And then he then stated, if Steam committed to a permanent 88% revenue share for all developers and publishers without major strings attached, Epic would hastily organize a retreat from exclusives while honoring their partner commitments and consider putting their games on Steam. So, okay, guys, my take on this is that Epic is kind of going all out, sort of Darth Vader, Borg, gangster on on team <laughs> and they smell blood they're going in for the kill i also don't think tim's statement is serious i think he's trolling valve really hard and he i i, I don't think he he believes that steam's steam can actually follow through on 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 that claim so eric and adam what do you guys think on both fronts first about you know sort of Epic's continued moves for platform exclusives, and then secondly about Tim Sweeney's comments. Do, do you think they're real, or do you think he's just posturing? Um, you know, my sense. I mean, clearly, Epic is getting super aggressive, right? Um, and I've been heard that they're giving insane guarantees that they can't possibly hope to earn back. And I think the biggest, besides Steam, the biggest uh, negative is for Stadia, right? So Stadia is coming out later this year with you know, primarily a PC, you know, uh, strategy, I think, because like they don't have a set top box to connect to a TV or anything. And then all the exclusives are getting sucked out of the marketplace, right? So they won't have the biggest games of the year this year. <laughs> so it really kind of leaves them with nothing because they could have signed up all these games as exclusives for Stadia, you know, on PC, right? Um, but instead, Epic is gobbling them all up, um, you know, it is a good strategy to help build up their network, uh, but I don't think it, this can continue forever. Um, and the problem is the, the issue here is still their launcher is still just a launcher. Like there's no real social features. The danger is that people are just going to download it to play the game and not really engage to the community that's similar to what they similar to what's happening with Origin and Uplay. Um, and again, this is really bad news for Steam, but in order for it to make it interesting for Epic long-term, they ne need to keep building features in the browser itself or in the launcher itself, uh, you know, chat, message boards, different channels, sharing features, community features, et cetera. Um, and, 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 and also, meanwhile, I'm hearing there's tons of customer support issues that are plaguing the system. Um, so they, they have to build a compelling destination for gamers similar to something like Battle.net or Steam, for that matter, to really hold on to this audience that they're capturing with all these big, you know, exclusive deals. Um, so 
And and I would argue, and and I might be proven wrong on this. I think Borderlands Three is the one that kind of worries me the most because Borderlands Three is a big big PC game, um, and it was a big Steam game. And while Ubisoft makes sense because they have UPlay as an alternative, if 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 indeed people are using uh, Epic for all their UPlay games, okay, one thing. But if if it's actually moving to another. Sorry, if if they're not capturing the share that they think they can capture, there's nowhere else to get this game, you know. So if it's not on Epic, it's nowhere, right? But at least you play. Uh, Ubisoft has an alternative platform. Um, anyway, I, I, I get worried about Borderlands. I think I think Borderlands is, is a little bit more risky than than what uh, Ubisoft is doing. And then Tim Sweeney, you know, like I don't know Tim at all, um, but my sense is that um, you know he's gotten beaten up all these years from in Steam, and he's kind of just posturing and. Tr- as you say, trolling uh, uh, the guys over at Steam. I, I don't know if he's going to stop doing what he's doing. And I do not think that Steam will capitulate on the 30%. Um, so maybe they'll make it more appealing, perhaps. But I don't think it's going to stop Tim from doing what he's doing, fundamentally. But what do you think, Adam? Yeah, no, I completely agree. He's just baiting Valve he absolutely must be bluffing. Epic needs the exclusives far more than it needs this kind of high moral ground. Uh, But Tim Sweeney is kind of like this though. Um, I remember, what was it like a year ago when we were talking about this in terms of the context of mobile, when they moved uh, Fortnite to its own launcher on Android and people started uh, considering like maybe Apple and Google will start kind of reducing their 30% cut. That was a brief happy moment that I had. Uh, But extremely unlikely um so yeah i i think he's just bluffing i'm also completely plus one on that stadia comment in terms of yeah what's left this year in terms of the big exclusives for the pc market what's google actually going to be bringing to the table when it launches um it it needs those exclusives Uh, if you think about even just the switch launch and how important those exclusives were uh, to drive those initial sales um, and yeah, it's not really a surprise that Ubi is doing this in terms of moving their Ghost Recon um, after Division 2. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens to future Ubi games like Assassin's Creed, because that's already kind of been tied up by Stadia before. That was kind of their show-off thing, right, at GDC, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, where is that going? Is that actually going to go, the, the one this year is going to go to Epic now? Um, and that's even off Stadia? That's, yeah, that's a nail in the coffin. Um, yeah, the bigger news was 2K. And yeah, now I'm just speculating about whether 2K games are actually going to be moving to Epic as well. So think about when Red Dead comes to PC, GTA 6, and this year too with NBA. Um, yeah, NBA 2K20. Um, also, something that actually came out yesterday on uh, from Game Industry was that Epic has also launched their store in China, stealthily. Um, so... Yeah, they're 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 moving very very quickly to kind of capture as much of the market as possible. Um, and I think with this article as well, it talked partially about kind of like Ghost Recon and Anno and those types of games, uh, but it was also talking about um, this Outer Wilds indie game. Um, and right now, for for now at least, Steam has a huge mountain of indie games that continue to kind of drive engagement. So the big ones right now, the IT games, are definitely Forger, Mordhau, Risk of Rain. Uh, these types of games um, all kind of naturally go on Steam just because of the easiness to sub- submit and the audience size. So it'll be interesting to see how those games eventually 
move over to the platform when it starts saying making sense to launch on both at the same time. Um, it's good that Epic starts getting ahead of some of the outperforming indie games. Um, Outer Wilds looks like a nice, you know, no, no Man's Sky type of game, maybe done a little bit better, but uh, who knows? It's still just kind of crowdfunded, um, still very much up in the up in the air. Um, I also read out that uh, Terraria, which is this huge, I would say like 2D Minecraft type of game, has come out and actually said that they're going to reject all of Epic's offer. We will never become an Epic exclusive, which, you know, great for keeping that moral high ground. But uh, I'm not sure if any indie should really be saying no to these massive guarantees. Um, also, I would definitely agree with Eric in terms of the launcher and the lack of social. And I would definitely comp more to Steam and to Discord. Uh, especially Discord, I think they've done an amazing job of getting very, very quickly up to a feature set uh, that really drives players um, to to use the the launcher for more than just you know launching a game. Because yeah, Origin and UPlay are pretty much just my launchers for Apex and for Division Two. That's pretty much it. That's all that's for. Um, versus Discord, right? It, it almost feels like there's a Reddit inside of Discord where I'm um, conversing, and Steam has a lot of those modding communities around games, which drives a lot of the value. Um, so I think eventually Epic, knowing them, will will get there quickly, but those are the types of features they need to get to. Um, yeah, I think that that's pretty much it for for my take on on Epic. But uh, moving into the next article. Wait, wait, one um, more comment on this. You sorry, know, go ahead. You said something about like uh, Ubisoft, what they do next with Epic. I, I, I bet they have another game in development that's not Assassin's. It's kind of Assassin's spinoff. Like I don't know some Greek thing or something, they could still do that as an exclusive uh, this year, potentially um, for Stadia. Sorry, for Stadia, not for Epic. So that could be their big, but that's just not big enough to matter. And certainly on PC, it's almost actually I I hadn't even really considered this. You know, like if if Stadia is really just basically going to go after the PC audience. First of all, that audience is really small for a lot of this content, and second of all, like you know, out of the cold, dead hands, are they going to, you know, you know, move over to a Stadia thing on the PC? The PC guys are the most hardcore and, and selective and, you know, performance metric, you know, performance geared people, right? So, I don't know, Stadia just seems scarier and scarier every day. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You'd think, you'd, as, as Google, you'd have to pay a pretty high premium on top of what Epic is offering to, to make it even make sense, right? Because not only am I saying, okay, you know, I'm, I'm forcing you to move off Steam, which is where you've gotten your audience for years and years and years. Um, but now you have to move to a streaming software where all of a sudden everybody needs to have certain connections in order to have a positive experience with your game. Yeah, but, think- it, you know, Ubisoft is not sometimes the most logical group. I mean, they, they really like to support new technologies and new new platforms and it's possible they'll forego some revenue for you know take a, a lower guarantee that they would get from epic by being exclusive with with stadia to support the platform which they've kind of been out there big supporting i can totally see the ceo doing that right just just the way he thinks about things but um or the way it, it, not how he thinks i don't know how he thinks but how he's what he's done in the past um mm-hmm. But again, you're only being exclusive for PC audience for one game, right? It's not like, you know, it's going to be available on PS4 and Xbox One. So it's not really an exclusive the way, um, you know, you know 
so to, to, to drive the platform. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But that's kind of my speculation at this point. Yeah. Makes more sense as, say, something like Assassin's Creed, which is, you know, very playable on PS4 and Xbox One versus something, say, like, um, I don't know, Civilization or, or something from 2K where you've got, you know, the predominant audience is on PC. You're not going to risk that. Right. Right. Totally. All right. So, um, JK, did you have anything to add? No, let's let's move on. Okay. So yeah, let's move on to the the kind of second part to that. So in terms of Epic Games have been acquiring a whole bunch of different games as exclusives, but uh, was it just this week? Uh, Epic Games announced that they acquired the studio Psionics, uh, which is the studio behind the game Rocket League. Um, so just to kind of set the table about who Psionics is and what Rocket League is, um, they're about 132 employees uh, based in San Diego. Um, Rocket League is a game that's uh, on PC, Xbox One, PS4, Nintendo Switch. Um, if you've never played it, it's actually definitely one of the most creative and fun games that I've played in a long time, where it kind of takes the idea of football, soccer, and uh, puts you into a car to actually play it. So you're driving around your car, playing football, playing soccer, uh, trying to score goals. Um, with the article, in terms of acquiring the studio, the deal terms were not disclosed. Um, so we can only speculate in terms of how much they actually purchased the studio for. Um, but the game was very, very successful. So I'm sure that they paid uh, a good amount for it. Now, the public numbers that we know, um, just so you're aware, uh, the business model for the game is that it's a $30 game uh, with cosmetic MTX, uh, with cosmetic micro microtransactions on top. Um, so I would equate it to something similar to like a PUBG where it's it's not free to play. It's not a $60 game, but it operates kind of in the middle, uh, but yet can still kind of drive a lot of unit sales of that to make up for the, the difference. Um, just the, the only revenue numbers that I can pull online in terms of public stuff, uh, June 2016, which was about a year after the launch, they made about $110 million. Um, This year, they announced that there was about 57 million players lifetime. Um, and then just looking at things like Steam charts and, and Twitch stats, um, it is currently the number four game on Steam in terms of concurrent users. So hitting at about half a million concurrent users per day, which is crazy. Um, also to note that Psionics as a company is not just Rocket League. They have had a long history, especially with working with Epic. So they actually worked on Gears of War and Unreal Tournament. Um, so they've actually worked with them in the past. Um, but uh, very similar to what we talked about in terms of Anno and all those games, this is a commitment to actually move completely off of Steam, which they've been on uh, since they launched, and moving completely their entire community to Epic. So, of course, a massive, massive deal. Um, my take on this, uh, as a personal fan of Rocket League, um, Psyonix is a superb developer, so... Um, I definitely give a huge kudos to, to Epic on this. And I would definitely say that Psionics is one of the last remaining kind of fully independent developers in that PC console space that has a existing successful games as a service title that has this kind of large community around it. Um, if you compare console to mobile in terms of the marketplace, console just doesn't have quite as many super successful, long running, defensible um, uh, games like this. Uh, so it makes absolutely complete sense by Epic to pick this up. Um, and part of this is like talking about before, talking about things like Assassin's Creed and Borderlands. Um, this is 
most likely what I see is Epic shifting its focus away from just getting games that are, say, tentpole titles just to get the audience size, get get the PC audience into their launcher, and more into audiences that actually drive engagement in their launcher, actually drive engagement around their platform, um, games that are going to be um, you know, getting the most bang for their buck that way instead of just you know, 10 to 20 hour games. These games typically have hundreds, thousands of hours per player. Um, yeah, so with these acquisitions, it kind of comes into question, will Epic start picking up more of these stronger games as a service titles that have these very vibrant communities around them? Um, and of course, Rocket League is the perfect example uh, with super simple game, modding scene, strong event system. Um, but what other titles would they actually be talking to? Uh, what other developers would they be talking to? Um, and my take for this, just to speculate, would be roughly that I would pretty much just look down the Steam charts and the Twitch charts to take a look at which developers are still independent and which would be up for sale, which have existing successful titles. So games like Ark Survival, um, Warframe, although actually Warframe is already on Epic, but it's actually held by a Chinese holding company, so it's actually not fully independent. Uh, Risk of Rain 2, a uh, huge game on Steam that just launched. Mordhau um, just uh, got launched on Steam as well, has a bright future ahead of it. Uh, Dead by Daylight um, as well by a Canadian developer, so i got to give huge props to that. Um, but yeah, uh, Dead by Daylight um, has been around for quite a while. Path of Exile from New Zealand. Um, but then, of course, we start thinking about other future games that are building kind of like longer term um, communities around it from larger developers. So things like Street Fighter, Football Manager are always games that are big on Steam in terms of retention, people sticking around it. Um, and maybe even thinking about games like High res uh, developers like High res with Smite and Paladins. Um, so those would be my speculations around where Steam would focus on. Uh, Eric, do you want to take a, a crack at this? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a brilliant move in my my opinion. Anyway, I think it's a perfect acquisition for them. Uh, and 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 the other thing is it could do is help build a pipeline. You know, so if if they're working on new projects, um, you know, sequels, etc., that would be good, really good to help build um, the platform. Uh, the other thing is to your point, you made the same point is that it the community around uh, Rocket League is so so big that they could actually continue to help build community around the platform as well, you know, as soon as the tools are implemented, I guess. I'm also, I'm not really sure if I'm right here, but I did hear in the grapevine that they were not very aggressive on monetization of their audience uh, for Rocket League. So perhaps they can get some best practices or key learnings from Epic on how to better monetize the game, you know, you know some short-term upside potentially in terms of monetizing their existing audience. Um, and again, I think, you know, even more so than some of those exclusives that they're spending insane amounts of money on, um, I think these type of moves can be far more uh, uh, efficient at building a defendable platform on PC, right? To build community around the uh, platform as well with with big games like this. And a lot of the games that you're talking about, Warframe and, and Path of Exile, et cetera. Oh, Smite. In particular, you know, those would be amazing games as additions as well, because they just have have massive audiences that uh, continue to play that game. Or I shouldn't say massive. I think there's a hardcore contingent of people that continue to play this game on over and over and over again that that would be good to help build up the community. 
Okay, so I, I can jump in here as well. So I, I don't have much more to add here except to feel more speculation. But as we mentioned before, it definitely seems like Epic is going full Darth Vader on, on Valve and Steam and really reminds me of kind of early MySpace, early Facebook, where, you know, the competitive tactics being employed were just, you know, extremely aggressive. You know, Tim Sweeney definitely seems like he's a, He's a gangster. And when I say that, I, I mean that in a, in, a, in a very positive sense. But, you know, seems like they're employing wartime tactics of like force concentration and shock and awe. Just really, you know, just just really putting it to them like very, very, very strongly. But um, I do think that, you know, assuming Epic is going full Darth Vader on, on Steam, you know, it, it begs a question. Who, who do you think Epic goes after next? I, th I think, Adam, you've got a pretty good list. Uh, I would probably add a couple of other names as well. Uh, so from my perspective, I, I think, you know, Sega's Relic Studio in Vancouver, if you could restructure them a bit, would be pretty attractive or, or even 11-bit studios in Poland. But um, yeah, you know, I, I do think that to, to your point, Adam, they probably just go down like the, the top sellers list on Steam, looking at platinum and gold sellers and just kind of going down that list. So um, other potential names like, you know, Fat Shark, who are behind Warhammer, uh, Vermintide 2 and Frontier, who made uh, Jurassic World Evolution with, with us at NBC Universal. But um, may, maybe I could just ask in... in you know, just just to feel speculation, if you had to pick one or two names that you think those those guys will be going after next, who do you think they they are, Eric and Adam? It's mm. a good question. Um, yeah, in terms of who I would be going after, I would be going after Hi-Rez. I'd be going after I forget the name of the developer of Path of Exile, uh, and I would try to be squeezing out Warframe or Arc. That's who I would be going after. But because uh, the thing is, they also hired the um, what's the guy? The guy who did Steam Spy. Do you remember that tool? Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, they got shut down. Right. Like he's been within Epic for quite a while. So they've been they've been digging in the charts for quite a long time in terms of uh, overachievers um, on Steam. So I think they'll they'll make some smart acquisitions here. Sorry, Eric. No, I, I, dude, you nailed it. I mean, those, those are the ones that I would think of like off the top of my head. I think Warframe was definitely something that was interesting, but I think that's already gone. Um, or it's part of Tencent, isn't it? I, I'm not really hundred percent sure, but you know, I have to think that I don't know anything about this, but Gabe must've pissed off Tim in a, in a, in a former life or something. Like it just seems like they're, he's just ruthless, right? I, I mean, there, they must've been some serious beef between these two guys for him to like, just you know, constantly, you know, just go after them in such the, the, in a big way. So I don't know what the history is there, but that'd be really interesting to know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was asked this question, uh, God, a few weeks ago, like, what are the primary, what are the independent PC, like game developers that we should be looking at? Um, and, and these are the, these are the names that I came up with, frankly, and, and some, some additions, but yeah, high res Warframe, Ark Survival, Maybe some of the MMO guys, um, some some of the Koreans like that are independent still. But man, I swear, like a lot of these guys have all been picked up by Tencent. Like they're trying to kind of getting the pick of the litter. Um, uh, it seems anyway. So, all right, yeah, that's about all I got. All right, um, let's move on to the next article. Let's finally get off Epic. Um, so loot boxes and legislation. So there was an article on. Uh, I think it was Games Beat, 
uh, called Zero Chances It Passes, uh, Game Analyst Breakdown Senator's Anti-Loot Box Bill. Um, so in terms of the article brief, um, if you guys weren't aware of it, um, I think it was just last week, uh, U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, who's a Republican from Missouri, uh, he's introducing legislation uh, which is focused on shielding kids from monetization tactics, predatory monetization tactics used by video game publishers. Uh, it's called the Protecting Children from Abusive Games Act. Uh, it would ban loot boxes and pay-to-win mechanics in games marketed towards players who are under 18. Um, it would treat the distribution of such games by publishers and online distributors as unfair trade practice. So it most likely would cause those games to shut down. Um, the, in terms of the actual process for how this bill would go through, uh, of course, this is still super early stages. Um, so very, very likely to make massive changes before it actually hits the House or the Senate. It has to go through a lot of vetting processes. Uh, but of course, things like our um, Entertainment Software Association, the ESA, as well as industry experts have already started uh, piped up to talk about this bill. Um, because the, the keys of it, um, the, the wording within it started talking a lot about games such as Candy Crush um, and their booster mechanics as examples of pay-to-win mechanics that are specifically targeting children, which is very odd. Not really what I would expect as a good example, um, uh, as well as, say, loot boxes uh, in general uh, in games that kids are playing. So from the ESA, the Entertainment Software Association, they've already kind of outspokenly said, well, maybe the senator should actually take a look at existing child protection against monetization before he goes to this length, because um, as we developers know, there's already quite a bit of um, protections that if a parent wants to be able to turn off monetization and uh, purchases on any platform, they can for the child. Um, but this article in particular uh, isn't just talking about the bill. It's also kind of asking industry experts from uh, Superdata, Newzoo, and um, Michael Pachter. I forget which um, uh, where he's from, but uh, yeah, it, it basically summarizes what the industry response is. Is that for one, there's some, yeah, there's some agreement in terms of it's being a necessary step that we need to make sure that um, mechanics such as loot boxes are protected against children. And I completely, or, or children are protected against it. And I completely agree with that. Um, it's likely that the industry self-regulates before this legislation hits. So it's it's not, this is not really likely to actually hit um, hits the Senate floor or, or House. Um, and overall, the banning of MTX is incredibly unlikely. But the one part of this that could be possible is banning of loot boxes for kids specifically. Um, and I would definitely bring up the quote from Michael Pachter, which I thought was great, um, which is that Congress simply cannot legislate against pay to win, where a game is competitive and people purchase better weapons, gear, etc. That's like legislating against faster cars, nicer handbags, or whatever. This entire bill is too dumb to comment on. So th that's that was the uh, the takeaway from Michael Pachter. The key question for me is, should developers that work on broadly appealing games, so not necessarily games that target children specifically, but just say Candy Crush games that appeal to a broad audience, be worried about selling loot boxes or gameplay impacting microtransactions? So I'll, I'll go into my take first. Um, and I would say my answer is absolutely not, um, but be smart. So 
Uh, while I, I don't think this is going to pass, especially in the way that it is phrased currently, um, as a developer, you do need to be smart. You need to be, if you're working with loot boxes, make sure you do things like disclosing your odds, which from my experience doesn't really have a material impact on your revenue, but it's just a, a make good to make sure that players know uh, what's going on in your loot boxes. And if you think that children are purchasing your microtransactions overall by accident, try to find ways to actually gate them away from that and allow uh, parents and players to actually refund um, when that happens. And to be honest, this is already happening, but maybe even try to publicize this a bit more. I don't know. There's there's always these red flags, but to be honest, we, we already have some of these mechanisms in place to make sure that people that are making mistaken purchases are are refunded pretty quickly. Um, but overall, this whole sentiment around pay to win, um, I would say is very attention seeking rather than really something we should be worried about. Um, Hall, just looking into Hawley, who the Republican senator is, um, he's just trying to be the Republican answer to this kind of tech bashing craze. He's also gone on on point on kind of bashing Amazon, Google, Facebook, et cetera. So um, th this isn't something new uh, from him. Um, but it would also make no sense how any legislator would be able to formulate any language around what the line is for pay to win, um, just because... Right, like it, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, but if you think about uh, something like Fortnite and selling cosmetics, which we all say is probably one of the nicest way to monetize, you could even say that that selling cosmetics, selling progression in the battle pass, is something that is pay to win. It's you're paying to win the battle pass. But uh, if we actually allow this to happen, if we allow the government to actually legislate uh, and actually control our industry, this is the type of line that they'll set up. Um, based on these senators' comments, I I really see that he and the government will have no idea about how to legislate pay-to-win or loot boxes. And overall, when I read this article, I'm completely agreeing with Michael. Calling out Candy Crush specifically is pretty idiotic. There's no loot boxes in that game. It's not targeting children. The average age of that game is significantly higher. And the microtransactions are pretty optional and definitely not the worst defenders of pay to win. It's kind of odd that they focused on that game in particular. Um, but this shows that if this were to pass, leaving legislation to the government would easily create a line that is impossible for a developer not to cross. Um, so if the government thinks that Candy Crush is specifically targeting kids, then really every game with cute graphics is intended for kids. So that means every game that has cute graphics. Uh, and if Candy Crush is pay to win, then pretty much every game that has any sort of gameplay impacting microtransaction would be qualified as pay to win and thus stopped, which is really weird. Um, so, yeah, even in the example, when we think about Europe uh, with Netherlands and Belgium, when they came cracking down on loot boxes, um, even though I think the, the heart of the issue was talking a lot about Battlefront 2 and FIFA's loot boxes, uh, they also banned loot boxes in games like Heroes of the Storm, which were purely cosmetic and fully optional. Um, so that's that's kind of the the thing. The, the line that gets created might not be um, might be too far, rather than allowing us to self regulate. I initially discredited this whole debate around loot boxes. I would say about two years ago, and since then, it actually has gone on to be banned in Belgium and Netherlands. And I think this summer we have an upcoming FTC investigation. Uh, for U.S. Also, I've heard kind of articles around Germany and Sweden taking a look at it. Um, and it's likely, at least for Germany and Sweden, that they're going to just be taking some of the elements from the Netherlands 
um, legislation if they actually pass. So overall, it just means that us as an industry does need to wake up to get smart about some common sense self-regulation to just avoid these types of headlines. So that just means that, of course, as developers, we should be required to post our odds for loot boxes. Um, just because I, I think this is absolutely fair and just to make sure it's transparent. And to be honest, this has real no material impact on loot box usage. Um, and also devices, as I said before, already come up with the ability to turn off in-app purchases and microtransactions for kids. Um, devices already have ways to refund microtransactions. So we need to make sure we continue to use those. Um, and taking in uh, legislation that's already out there, so things like COPPA, uh, Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, uh, game developers are already abiding by this to make sure that um, kids under the age of, I think, 13, uh, their data is actually protected. Their private data is absolutely protected. Um, and this is already being, say, policed very effectively. Um, if loot boxes are banned for kids, I would assume a very similar adoption, that as soon as you're kind of under that COPPA Act, that loot boxes need to be turned off for these uh, for this generation. So none of this would, I think, have a material impact on the overall games business, uh, because if you are actually targeting kids and kids are the majority of your revenue from loot boxes, then I would say, yeah, you should probably consider stopping that. But that that's my take. Um, Eric, do you want to go into this? Yeah, I mean, I can't. There's not much I can really add to what you've been saying. I mean, I did a really deep dive into this last year and and published an article on it. Um, and the conclusion is pretty much the same. I think most likely, what will end up happening is you'll require developers to disclose odds and more or less self regulate. Um, no one I really talk in the industry is all that worried about this. Uh, uh, the fundamentally, you know, loot boxes are not gambling. This is just more politics stuff against tech, you know, to some degree. The biggest risk that I found last year, which I think is still the case, is uh, any type of exchange system that you pay cash for uh, cards. And it's a little bit nuanced here, but FIFA, for instance, has a exchange within their uh, ultimate team system in which you can buy cards from other players for currency. Those type of exchanges are, are of the highest risk because there is a way you could argue that you're paying in cash because you're buying cash to buy coins and then you're buying, using the coins to buy cards, right? And these, these transactions are happening between different players. However, there's no legal way for them, you'd take that money out of the system, you know? Um, however, there was gray markets that FIFA has been fighting for years and years and years that you could actually buy currency or sell cards, um, um, for real money. So those are the type of things that are the most at risk from what I, the work I did last year. Um, but there are ways of mitigating that risk by, again, you know, making sure the black market, uh, the gray market's gone. Um, and regarding the Josh Hawley thing, I mean, this is just another example of kind of someone that doesn't really understand what the hell he's talking about, bringing up legislation that he doesn't really understand. You know, he, it's kind of like, you know, them interviewing Facebook, you know, all the senators, uh, they look like absolute morons because they don't even know that <laughs> Facebook is actually an advertising vehicle. Anyway, whatever. It's it, it's the same kind of thing. I, nothing's going to happen with this these type of legislations, in, in my opinion, or from people that I spoke to. And at the end of the day, I think what will happen is there'll be a self-regulation thing, put up the odds, don't push this towards kids. And again, uh, to, to your point, you know, the uh, the big publishers need to get smart 
and and get more proactive at uh, you know starting to look at this stuff. So from from my side, I I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but really quickly, I I, I think that um, you know your your point about the Zuckerberg congressional uh, hearings and testimony is, is is right. Like that plus. What we saw when the Google CEO also had his sort of congressional testimony that um, I actually think anything is possible here, although unlikely that this legislation goes through. But what I will say is that um, there is zero chance that the, the, the lawmakers actually understand how loot boxes work. I, we saw the, the gap in terms of understanding and te- technical proficiency when we saw the congressional testimony from Zuckerberg and the Google CEO. So. I think we're basically at the mercy of a bunch of lawmakers who will be working with very simplified or even incorrect models of how loot boxes and gotcha work. So I personally would not be surprised if it passes, although unlikely. So that, that's all I have to say with that. And Eric, moving on to PlayStation. Yeah, this is kind of an old article. It was related to uh, Sony's earnings. We just didn't get a chance to get to it. Um, and this is just another example of an article that is just so full of misinformation it just drives me insane but the article subject was like playstation now has seven hundred thousand users you know its service use contributed to sony's increase in sales for the quarter um (laughs) it's just absolutely moronic right so it's like the notion that playstation now is actually contributing to their performance is just just absolutely untrue you know the the size of this thing is like 700,000 people basically at $100 a year is around $70 million. I mean, it's mice nuts, right? It's like 3% of Sony's revenue. And if you look at it from a different perspective, it's like 1% of the entire install base of PS4 is subscribing to the service. It's terrible. It's freaking terrible, right? This whole service has been an absolute disaster for Sony. And this this acquisition has been a disaster for Sony. And, And so like these articles like perpetuate this, this, false narrative that these subscription services are doing well. And it's driving me insane. You know, it's like, how hard is it for variety to do a little bit of math here, you know, and say, (laughs) you know, that it's just not a big driver of growth for them. Um, And then I also hear that a lot of these people that are even subscribing, they're opting in and it's like less than 50% of the people are actually using the service in any given month, you know? So I think what it is, and this is going to be the problem with Stadia as well, is Sony is doing an exceptional job of getting people to try the service. But no one is using the service because the titles suck and there are way too many games in the service to discover. And fundamentally, people do not play old games. Like are you, anybody that you know anything about this business and industry will tell you that when you say backwards compatibility, that is a feature on a freaking box, right? That has nothing to do. No one plays old games. It's like I, the stats I've heard are less than 2% play actually old games. But anyway, it's just really frustrating for me to listen to this stuff. And I just want to, you know speak some truth you know they put on these positive spins on something that's far from positive and this kind of brings me to a more broader point about sony you know they 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 almost stumbled upon their success this generation in my opinion like they were basically following this disastrous reveal from xbox from from microsoft and my understanding is they were going to do the exact same thing drm online only move it from one one console to another etc but they pulled like an audible before the E3 presentation and basically said, this is a gaming box for gamers, which frankly was the most brilliant freaking thing they've ever done. Right. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that led them to the success that they're having this year. But 
But again, they seem to be falling further and further behind in terms of development and and their 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 talent in terms of what they're doing. You're you're seeing games like you know Minecraft, Fortnite, Roblox, Apex. You know these games are the what's kind of taking the hearts and minds of the gamers these days. And Sony fundamentally does not have any game or any even team that could build games like this, like these softwares as a service. And so I think what's happening at Sony in general is they're got to kind of getting so drunk on their own success that. They're looking at the results month after month and saying, oh, my God, we are destroying people right now that they have no incentive to change or innovate. Right. They have no ch- no desire or need to try to, you know, you know, develop the next big thing. It's like a lot of these older execs are, you know, ready to retire. So why would they want to rock the boat now? You know, just get, you know, cash your checks. Right. So now having said all that, I still think. Sony is super well positioned for the beginning of next cycle, right? I mean, I think they just are dominating, particularly in Europe, that they're going to basically crush it, right, for the first couple of years of the cycle. What I'm worried about is that as Microsoft gets more aggressive, Google's in play, all these companies are trying to build their own content, things like people like Epic and stuff like that are coming on board. They'll create a piece of content that compels people I don't need to be on Sony's platform anymore, you know? Ultimately, like I met with some of the Roblox guys last week, and, you know, you build like, and and their fundamental idea is to create a ready player one type universe, right? Which I am 100% on board, right? Well, imagine if that game comes out and Microsoft's teams build that thing for Microsoft platforms. How soon do you think it would be for most of the people or a broader audience to go over to Microsoft, you know? And that's that's the chance, that's the the real risk I see for Sony in the back half of the next cycle is, is that this compelling piece of content is built on with someone else because they don't have the fundamental capability of actually building anything like that right because they're still making all their teams are making single player epic adventures still which are amazing and don't get me wrong but that's just not where i think the, the market and the business will likely to go so you know i think we'll, we'll see what ends up happening here but i i just some of this stuff is like you know sony's really got i think got to get more aggressive and start to think more about longer term and 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 not get stuck idle <laughs> as as other companies are innovating around them. Um, so that's kind of my little bit of rant on Sony. So hopefully no one from Sony is going to contact me or get or get all pissed <laughs> off at me like, you know, like other big companies. But fundamentally, I think, you know, they, they, they have a lot of work to do to like kind of continue to position themselves as, as the, you know, the leader in the industry as they are today. What do you think, JK? Cool. Yeah, so for me, I can't really disagree on the point about revenue contribution by PS Now, although, you know, 70, 70 million isn't nothing, but on a relative basis, sure, it's it's definitely not a huge contributor. Uh, the other point I, I, I thought would be interesting is just to understand how much of a contribution God of War made to their 2018 revenue. But, you know, in terms of doing a little bit of simple math, uh, you know, it was reported that God of War sold 3.1 million copies in the first three days. So assuming like an you know, average selling price of $30, even just the first three days of God of War would be over 90 million, which would be more than PS Now. So definitely think that on a, you know, on a relative basis, uh, you know, even God of War has a much more significant contribution and would be interesting to see just how much that that contributed overall. Um, and then just speaking to like Sony versus Microsoft, I do think I, I would agree with you that Sony is definitely well positioned. I'm a little bit more worried about Microsoft being able to keep up competitively. It just seems that from, a, you know, we, we've made this 
this content argument before, but from an exclusives perspective, you got to give the advantage to Sony. Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, Last of Us 2, Spider-Man, Uncharted 4, Death Stranding. It, it's a pretty sick lineup, and it's not like you know the old days um, previously with with Microsoft, where you know they had um, stronger titles like you know when when Halo was more popular and, and things like that. So um, definitely going to have to at least for the time being give give the nod to, to Sony. Yeah, I, I, dude, I don't disagree with you. I think their first party lineup of compelling like single player adventures are absolutely amazing. Like Horizon Zero Dawn was just a phenomenal game and so was God of War and Spider-Man for that matter. I'm not a big fan of the Uncharted series, but nonetheless, um again, my concern is not that those games will be consider- continue to sell well. My concern is that the uh interactive industry is going to evolve beyond this hope uh, in my view anyway eventually. Um and they will not be in a good position to take advantage of that while Microsoft will be in a better position. And ASP is around $50, by the way, just so you know. Um, uh, yeah. Or even more. Um, so anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. It's just a thought. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm a primarily a Sony console player. I just, uh, I just, you know, hear what's going on in the industry and, and talk to these guys. And it just seems like uh, Sony is kind of in the dark ages to some degree on some of these things. Right. And speaking of God of War, so very quickly, we'll, we'll end with the last article, which was um, uh, reported by Engadget. Sony releases its God of War making of documentary on YouTube. And so Sony released a two hour behind the scenes documentary covering the five year development process behind God of War. And I, I watched it when it first came out. It's so good. And I won't go into too much depth, but it was really cool to see sort of like the struggle, the highs and lows and how much passion and sacrifice that actually went into God of War. And I, I, you know, if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend you go to YouTube, check it out. And again, not going to too much depth. I I just wanted to say it's a hundred percent worth watching the documentary. And for me personally, I took away three key things. So first was just how important having the right leader especially a badass like Corey Balrog is in, in you know, driving a s- successful outcome for, for a game project. Secondly, just how much risk they took in terms of evolving um, the, you know, the um, evolving the game from what players previously expected and just how close the project came to not making it. And, and finally, you know, we, we've talked about, work-life balance before, but in this specific case, uh, the perspective provided by the folks from Santa Monica Studios was around how, you know, they did kind of work long hours, but the sacrifice for them was worth it to deliver a product of the quality that um, that they delivered. And if if you guys haven't played God of War, uh, it's definitely, you know, one of the best games ever. So um, if you haven't played it, definitely advise that uh, you you play the game. And if you don't have a PlayStation, go buy a PlayStation to play it. <laughs> anyway, just watch it. It's worth your time. If you're serious about game development, if you're in the industry, in my opinion, it's a must watch. Not sure, Adam or Eric, if you've got any comments on, on this one or have watched it yourselves. No, but based on that recommendation, yeah, I'll, I'll start watching it now. <laughs> yeah, I've watched it. I'll definitely take a look. Cool. Um, with that, I think we're, we're all done for our articles, unless there are any other remaining comments to make. Nope. I think we're good. Um, 
I'm yeah. getting excited about E3, even though it seems a little bit uh, muted this year without Sony and, and some of the other big players. I think uh, Microsoft's going to be out in full force, so it should be interesting. Yeah, I wasn't originally planning on going to E3, but just kind of changed my mind last week. So dude, uh, I'll, I'll be out dude, there. Dude, you're in well, LA, there? dude. Why, why wouldn't you go to E3? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be there all week, dude. And uh, Okay, yeah, all right. Maybe you, we can hang out. You have a pull. And if, if any of you guys in podcast land want to hang out yeah, with give me us and a Eric, ping. just, just maybe, let us uh, know. Maybe you have a pull-out couch, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. See you guys later. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.